next several podcasts will deal with nerve as a tissue and give you a brief overview of the nervous system. The learning objectives would like you to be able to recognize neurons in the central nervous system and in the peripheral nervous system. Would like you to be able to recognize the major components of the central nervous system. So that would be different regions in the brain and spinal cord. And of course, we want you to be able to do that on histologic preparations. We'd like you to be able to recognize component parts of the peripheral nervous system. So for example, ganglia and peripheral nerves. We'd like you to be able to compare and contrast white matter and gray matter as we talk about these in the central nervous system and would hope that you begin to integrate some neurohistology with things you've learned in anatomy. So try to integrate histology with anatomy and physiology. If we talk about the nervous system in relation to tissues and organs, we can consider the central nervous system as separate from the peripheral nervous system. The central nervous system, of course, consists of the brain and the spinal cord. And now here's an unfamiliar term, probably. We talk about nuclei. And here, when we use the term nuclei, we're talking about collections of nerve cell bodies. So if we say a nucleus in the brain, we're talking about a collection of nerve cell bodies in the brain. We also talk about tracts or collections of axons and we'll talk about gray matter, that region in the central nervous system where the cell bodies of neurons are located as opposed to white matter, that region of the central nervous system that primarily just contains the axons of neurons. Now of course there are other cell types in the white and gray matter and we'll talk about that as we go along in these discussions. And now the peripheral nervous system contains ganglia, and ganglia are essentially collections of nerve cell bodies, and then nerves themselves, and nerves in the peripheral nervous system refer to tracts of axons or collections of axons. So you remember, for example, in gross anatomy, you may have talked about cranial nerves or spinal nerves. We're not going to ask you to be able to identify histologically a cranial nerve or a spinal nerve. We would hope that you'd recognize peripheral nerves though in histologic sections and we'll review a little bit later some of the nerve endings that would like you to be able to recognize as well. Now just as a brief overview we can make the general statement that peripheral nerves conduct impulses from efferent or motor nerves and they conduct impulses to afferent or sensory nerves of the central nervous system. And I think it's not a surprise to you that interactions between sensory nerves, so-called afferent nerves, which receive stimuli, the central nervous system neurons that interpret those stimuli, and motor or efferent nerves that initiate responses create what we call neural pathways or reflex arcs. And in humans, most sensory neurons that are out in the periphery of the body don't pass directly to the brain. Instead, they communicate with motor neurons in the spinal cord. And you'll appreciate this more as you go through neurophysiology and anatomy next year.
we can talk about the somatic nervous system and the autonomic nervous system. The somatic nervous system would be neurons in the central nervous system that project to, say, the skin or to sense organs or to primarily skeletal muscles. And the somatic nervous system controls the conscious, voluntary functions of our skeletal muscles. The somatic nervous system also controls involuntary movements of significant reflex arcs, like the knee jerk reflex or moving your hand away from a hot flame. Those would all be controlled by the somatic nervous system. On the other hand, the autonomic nervous system controls efferent involuntary functions like heartbeat, breathing, digestion, maybe secretion of glands. It also would control afferent sensations from the viscera. So for example, if you were sensing pain from some of the visceral organs. Now as we said, the somatic nervous system, the neuron cell bodies, are usually within the central nervous system. In the autonomic nervous system, there are ganglia that are outside the central nervous system. We can talk about subdivisions of the autonomic nervous system. We're not going to make a big deal about them in this course because you will study them to some extent in physiology and to a much greater extent next year in neurobiology. But we talk about the subdivisions of the autonomic nervous system as the sympathetic subdivision, the parasympathetic, and the enteric subdivisions of the autonomic nervous system. As you probably have some knowledge, the sympathetic nervous system is involved in the or flight reflex. The parasympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system controls and maintains normal bodily function, so essentially regulates homeostasis, maybe like to control resources. The enteric component of the autonomic nervous system are those components that are actually within the alimentary canal, and those nerves can actually function independently of the central nervous system, although as you will remember from gross anatomy, there are inputs obviously from the central nervous system into the enteric nerves of the alimentary canal. Note in this figure the somatic motor neurons have cell bodies in the central nervous system and the axons travel directly to skeletal muscle where they innervate the skeletal muscle. On the other hand, note in the autonomic nervous system there are ganglia outside the central nervous system. Here would be a what we would call a presynaptic neuron cell body in the central nervous system, but it comes out into the uh, peripheral nervous system, synapses with a postsynaptic neuron, and that then innervates an effector. And in this case, we're defining effector as the target for the efferent neurons. We can talk about these effectors in various locations in the body. The other point I want you to take away from here, besides the fact that there are ganglion that are outside of the central nervous system where, where these autonomic nerves meet and synapse, but there's at least a two-neuron chain which is going to convey impulses to the visceral effectors. So there's a neuron cell body that originates in the central nervous system, the so-called presynaptic neuron, which is going to synapse in a ganglion outside of the central nervous system to the so-called postsynaptic neuron, and that will then innervate the target organ. 
We're not going to go over these details in our course here. You've covered some of this in your anatomy course. You'll cover it in much more detail next year in the neurobiology course. But this slide basically shows the divisions between the sympathetic autonomic nervous system and the parasympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system. Just some basic things you'll recall. The parasympathetic divisions are basically from the cranial nerves and the sacral nerves. The sympathetic divisions are basically from the cervical, thoracic, and lumbar regions. And as I said, I'm not going to spend any time in our course here going over these. This is just for your information to help you integrate and put things together from what you've already talked about a little bit in anatomy and what you will talk about in much greater detail later in your training. I think as we appreciate though the autonomic nervous system does regulate the function of organs by specific effectors. So for example an effector could be smooth muscle. A smooth muscle can modify the diameter or shape of the tubular organs or hollow viscera. Smooth muscle might under the influence of the autonomic nervous system alter the diameter of blood vessels, might alter the behavior of cells in the gut the gallbladder or the urinary bladder. Of course the cardiac conducting cells or Purkinje fibers, their inherent depolarizations regulate the rate of cardiac muscle contraction. If you think of glandular epithelium, the synthesis, even composition and release of some of the glandular secretions are under the control of the autonomic nervous system. And I don't think it's a surprise to you that neurons in the brain and in other parts of the body can behave as secretory cells. And so you're going to talk about in physiology, and we'll allude to it later in this course, that some tissues have a neuroendocrine capability or a neuroendocrine function. And we'll leave that to discuss later in the course when we talk about some of the endocrine organs. If we look at the development of the nervous system, most of the nervous system develops from neuroectoderm. The neural crest does play a role in the development of sensory and autonomic ganglia. Clearly, Schwann cells and satellite cells, which are supporting cells of nerves, develop from neural crest. And then regions like the adrenal medulla also originate from the neural crest. And that might help you to understand why we talk about neuroendocrine functions, both of, for example, cells in the adrenal medulla, which we'll get to much later in the course, but also the fact that some neurons can behave like endocrine cells composition of nerve tissue two major cell types is the neurons and the supporting cells. The neurons or nerve cells are actually the functional cell of nerve tissue. You can think of them almost as like the parenchymal cells. There are essentially two major classes of neurons. We can talk about them as principal neurons, so-called projection or Golgi type 1 neurons and interneurons or local circuit or Golgi type 2 neurons. And neurons function to receive stimuli, to conduct impulses, and they form synapses from one neuron to another neuron or from a neuron onto an effector cell. So, for example, a neuron onto, a, say, a skeletal muscle cell.
And then we talk about the supporting cells, neuroglial cells, or simply glial cells for short. These are the supporting cells. And in a loose way, you might think of these as the stromal cells in nervous tissue. These supporting cells or glial cells provide physical support for neurons and protection for neurons. They can insulate the neurons, as you'll come to appreciate, membrane depolarization is very important in the conduction of nerve impulses, so insulation is important. The supporting cells play a role in repair after neural injury. You may remember that neurons, by and large, there are some exceptions, but neurons, by and large, don't divide. But indeed, some glial cells may be neural stem cells. Some of the glial cells regulate the internal milieu or fluid environment of the central nervous system. Some of them play a role in clearing neurotransmitters from synaptic clefts, and some of them are important in metabolic exchange between the vascular system and neurons.